Welcome to RBC Disruptors, our ongoing conversation about innovation and how we can reimagine the Canadian economy in this time of unprecedented change. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. I'm joined today by what you might call the odd couple of innovation. They're two very different pioneers in their respective fields, and they've come together to see the future and use technology to ensure we see the future too, through a new lens. Ed Bertinsky is a celebrated photographer, really one of the great ones of his generation. His business partner, Vikas Gupta, is a leader in interactive gaming, and they're with me to talk about their Toronto startup, Avara Media, which is on the bleeding edge of augmented and virtual reality. It's taking users to places and experiences on the planet so we can help change the planet. That feels timely, as we're all living in some pretty altered states in this crisis. The AR and VR market is worth billions, and Canada can be at the forefront. We here in Canada are a nation of creators, of storytellers, who can use these platforms to build a whole new scale of audience. This is what Ed and Vcast are trying to build. They want us to see the world and experience the world like we've never seen it before. Vikas and Ed, welcome to RBC Disruptors. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to be here. So before we get going, I, I wonder if you can tell us how and where you're sheltering. Ed, let me start with you. You're away from uh, the city of Toronto. Yeah, I um, had a plan in my calendar to be up at my place in the Beaver Valley around Collingwood. And I had that calendared the second week in March, in December. I was coming up here anyways at that time, and uh, I wanted to come and think about the next project I'm working on, which is on Africa and globalization. And it was just at the same time that the shutdown and the lockup was starting to happen. And I got up here, and I haven't left since. You're making me think for a moment of Henry David Thoreau on, uh, on Walden Pond, yet here we are in the 2020s. Vikas, where are you sheltering? Uh, so I live out in Oakville, and you know we're very fortunate that we live in this beautiful area that's surrounded by greenery and uh, beautiful parks and so on. And I think one of the most fortunate things for us is that we've got a ravine right across from where we live. And and what's great is you know between my wife and my daughters, you know every day when we're done work and school respectively, we have this fantastic opportunity to go for for walks and really just get lost in the woods with a feeling of being very far from civilization and anything urban. You know, there's that great saying about retiring that you, you need to stop and smell the roses. And in a way, this crisis has forced us or allowed us and, and enabled us to spend a bit more time engaging with nature. What does that tell you about our relationship with technology? Well, it tells us a few things. I think, especially as a father of, uh, of two kids, we are overly reliant on technology and oftentimes, unfortunately, we're using it far too much historically as, as escapism. And what this pandemic has really taught us is that we've taken nature for granted. And the fact that we have spent too much time on technology and we are only recognizing today that if we turn our attention away from technology when we have those gaps and periods in time, uh, there's actually a great deal to take in and there's a great deal to learn. But I wonder if that suggests that we need to augment our technology with reality? I certainly think so. And, and you know, the irony of, of the question and, and my response is really the fact, yes, I, I, I'm a technology entrepreneur. I've been working in technology my entire career. But really, you know, the, the work that we're doing at Avara is meant to connect people to nature and to unique and extraordinary parts of the world, but through technology. 
And really, in many ways, what we're doing is we're unlocking those opportunities, those places, moments, and interactions that people otherwise would never have access to. And if we can use the devices that are occupying people's time for the majority of their days now and and really showcase to them that there is something extraordinary out there, you may discover it through technology that we're creating, but we also want to try and bridge that gap by once we bring you that awareness and that insightfulness, we hope people will get out there and actually start to engage in real life. And I would say the nice thing about augmented reality is that we can augment the outdoor world with technology so that, you know, you may never have the opportunity to travel to Indonesia to see a critically endangered tiger. But if you go outside, we can make it feel like there's a tiger right out there in your backyard or in the trails of the ravine that that we walk through on a daily basis. I find it fascinating that you've, you're combining that sort of power of technology with the power of art and what uh, Ed does through photography. Tell us first how you met. We met through a YPO event, Young Presence Organization, and really Ed was our, our featured speaker speaking on the topic of technology and the future of art. And I was the, the host of that event and basically putting it together. But, you know, what, what really for me um, became evident was that his work speaks volumes. And as you start to piece those photographs together, this incredible narrative about the fragile nature of the world emerges. And really my thought process for Ed was, well, this is fantastic what you do. More of the world needs to be exposed to this work, but not everybody has that the means to be a collector and to be able to either access his work or better still to own it. And therefore, how can we take that narrative and extend that out to a global audience? And we turned our attention to augmented reality and virtual reality. We saw them as up and coming new mediums that had an incredible future. And then at the same time, for how we were thinking about creating immersive and highly interactive experiences that not only conveyed the work that Ed has dedicated his life to and the narrative around that, but really being able to entertain people and educate them all simultaneously. This became that big blue sky idea that we had. Ed, we've taught over time, and I followed your career over the decades, through your journey from photography 1.0 of when it was chemicals-based to a digital 2.0 and now into 3.0 of an augmented reality form of photography. What did you see in this world of 3.0 that you thought might transform the picture? Well, John, as you know, I've also been very interested in other mediums as well. So I've been involved in film, like documentary films, working with Jennifer Bachewell and Nick DePoncier. And that was to make Anthropocene. Anthropocene, and before that, Watermark, and before that, it was Manufactured Landscapes. And what I recognized as an artist is that at, at, at the end of the day, on some level, we're all storytellers. We're visual storytellers. And... I found that the book world and the museum world had a, an interesting reach, but when I went into the world of film, I, I really realized how deeper that reach is into culture. And I realized that this medium, the, and then digitization allows that too. So these films are digitized, they can be now streamed, and that this opens up a whole new way of picking these ideas about how we as humans are usurping nature and, and our relationship to nature and the things that we need from it and bringing that into consciousness as a, a world traveler going into these fairly exotic places, whether it's industry or, or whether it's the safari parks where I've gone into and be able to capture those things and bring them to the viewer 
The digital platform then also allows us to experience the world in the round. And to me, that was interesting. It was like the beginning of the the holodeck from Star Trek is all of a sudden you can have a 3D experience with your phone or with your iPad and you can go around an object and you can now animate that object and now you can interact with that object. And to me, it was this wonderful uh, way to bring awareness to the issues of our time in that, you know, there are too many of us humans encroaching into more and more remote regions. Nature is, you know, really suffering at our success. And the animals that need the wide-ranging spaces that they can move with the change of seasons are being held back from that freedom through fencing and through sale of land, et cetera, et cetera, and through the diminishment of uh, these wild places. And we can now take those stories and bring these forward as uh, characters that we can then understand their lives and we can understand what's happening to them. So that makes us, I guess, as a viewer, more than a viewer. We're not the passive audience. We are participants, even from from a distance. And maybe that's where gaming comes into this, Vikas. I wonder if you can explain a bit about the thinking of the gaming world and how that is being applied to the artistic world. In the most simplistic terms, gaming is about engaging people getting them to a level of depth in whatever that engagement might be, and ensuring that they have a constant incentive that is then coupled with a reward. We we realized early on that in order to be able to appeal to a global audience, we, we could not be documentarians, and therefore we could not be developing something that was purely educational focused. When we apply game theory, what we're now doing is very much to your point, we are making the user an active participant. And really how we are designing this is that we want the user to be nurturing and cultivating ecosystems and recognizing that as you cultivate an ecosystem and as that ecosystem starts to grow and it starts to blossom, that then gives way to wildlife. And so that becomes the reward for the user. However, as the user starts to ascend up through a biome hierarchy, We do want this to become increasingly difficult because, again, as part of game theory, the challenge always has to be there without making that challenge too great. But then the reward also becomes very interesting. There's a certain emotional connection that we're trying to create. And once we create that emotional connection, the hope is that what we've really done is empowered the user to say, you know what, I didn't know that this is happening in parts of the world. I didn't realize that there are only 500 the 750 Sumatran tigers left because of human activity. And therefore, what can I as a user continue to do about this? But then underneath it all, we want people to walk away as very informed, very well-educated and highly sensitive citizens of the planet. And I wonder how you think about some of the dilemmas that Vikas was speaking to, especially from the perspective of photographers who historically may have valued the idea of a static piece of art that captures a moment in time and preserves that moment in time rather than allowing it to be altered through time. As a fine artist, as a photographer, I I have been in the uh, world of creating these static objects and making these objects to sit on walls of museums, corporations, people's homes. And that's still something as part of my work. And I don't uh, stop doing that. That continues to be my work. But I'm also seeing that there's an interest in pursuing this new technology, which sits kind of squarely in the 
kind of millennials toolkit of how they get their information and the, how they engage with with the world. And to me, as somebody who has been working for 40 years, trying to bring the idea that our relationship to nature is wildly out of balance. So it is a very interesting time. And to have that kind of rich experience in the hands of youth who are wanting to experience and know about these things and finding ways to do that in a very compelling way. And, and there's just no way that, they, that that same experience can be duplicated in a single print or even in a movie. Here you are, the protagonist. You get to go around the animal. You get to interact with the animal. It's a kind of a, a world building meets you know, Tamagotchi, which is a kind of caring and nurturing part of a game. Ed, maybe walk us through one of the early Avara projects and how you came at it as a photographer. Early projects were in VR, and we were taking the viewer down underground in, in a potash mine in Russia, and we recreated the whole interior of the potash mine so you could move around in that space. And we quickly realized that the headsets and, and the technology necessary, the form factor, call it, was still very awkward, and it, you couldn't really bring this technology out in a shared experience way. We then went to AR, we started thinking about species that are going extinct. And I think the Oryx is the first one that we did. And what I was able to do is I was going back and forth to Africa a lot. And so I would talk to Vikas and I'd say, hey, uh, what do you need? What kinds of things do you want? He said, I need a watering hole. I need some fantastic trees. Can you do some native rocks in these areas where, you, where these uh, Oryx are? And then I would go and capture a lot of that stuff on my shoots stitch these things together through photogrammetry, and then Vikas could work with his team and recreate the animals and then be able to add them to these scenes, as well as some other things that would be found elsewhere. You mentioned photogrammetry. Maybe you could explain that. Well, photogrammetry is very much you're able to capture the three-dimensional world on a two-dimensional chip and turn it into ones and zeros using nothing but photography. There's no laser. There's nothing else just thousands or hundreds of pictures all being brought together in this software and converted into a three-dimensional uh, representation of that object. Vikas, speaking of transformations, you and your team have not been sitting idly through the crisis. You're continuing to push this technology. What have you been able to do with it over the last couple of months? You know, over the last couple of months, we, we've actually in many ways been busier than ever. As a technology company, we've always been set up to work very effectively using technology. So all of our systems are cloud-based. We've got infrastructure in the cloud. Day one of the quarantine, we were fully operational with 100% productivity. And so what we've really done is we've clamped down and focused now very firmly on the fact that we've got to create these very rich experiences that continue to connect people with the world. And if there was ever a time that our work was important, I mean, it always has been, that's being highlighted more than ever today in that people are trapped indoors. I don't think that this crisis is over anytime soon, and therefore really giving people the appreciation for the outdoors and for being able to go to these extraordinary places. Uh, that mission has become more important than ever. One of the other things that we've done, which I think is really interesting, is that given the, the government's plea for educational programs around COVID-19 and that sort of need for assistance, we actually developed a very quick COVID-19 educational AR experience as part of the overall of our app. 
And, you know, a great example of this is that um, my, my mother was asking just a few days ago, like, I don't understand the transmission. How does that work? Uh, why is this so contagious? And I said, well, you know, we can show you. And this was such a great way to be able to demonstrate to somebody who is not technologically savvy the essence of why you need to maintain distance all through the power of augmented reality. So now when you take something like that and you amplify it with all the interactivity that we've talked about that we are building with that level of engagement, with educational components, we're actually very excited. And we also believe that as we move forward, that new experience economy is changing dramatically. And in many ways, it's going to become much more local and much more digital in nature. And if we can break the boundaries of what that local looks like by leveraging digital technology, then I think that we're also doing a great service to the world. Explain a bit more what you mean by local, because a, a lot of what you're doing is is very not local. You're allowing us to experience uh, panthers in South America or uh, the burning of tusks in Africa. So how does that become local? The marketing speak, John, that we use is that we transport people to the most extraordinary places, moments, and interactions in the world. And our objective with this technology is to really highlight issues in many cases that people aren't even aware of. And so our job in many ways is to highlight the things that are happening in the world. But if we can now take somebody across the planet through the device that they carry in their back pocket every day on in a fascinating state-of-the-art new medium called augmented reality, it allows those people to remain local but still engage in these wonderful adventures and discoveries about critical things that are happening around the world. The COVID crisis has opened our eyes to a reliance on technology. In some cases, like remote communication, technology is a saving grace. But by paying so much attention to our devices, could we be ignoring the world around us? Like Vikas mentioned, when was the last time you took a walk in the forest or just observed the nature around you? As human beings in the 2020s, it's easy to forget that we're all part of an ecosystem, and that's not just a tech buzzword. Ed, I wonder what you see as the end game in AR and VR. I think there, the technology is fast moving. And as I always say about new technology, it never gets uninvented. So I think this idea that you can move into these other worlds with that are, if you build them in a compelling way and experience them in a way that is actually realistic and true to that place. The only thing that's holding it back at this point is miniaturization and the speed of processing. So as that continues to evolve, and so then, you know, that could certainly move into a conversation is how much further does Moore's law have to, to move before we plateau on technology the way it is today? I mean, that is going to be the limiting factor, I think, to be having to having more and more engagement and hyper-realistic engagement with these kinds of subject matters. Because what does Canada need to do to excel in this space? We are starting to see the rise of Canada as a technology hub and as an intellectual property hub. I think, though, that in order to accelerate our success, you know, we, we do need a far significant greater infusion of capital within that technology ecosystem that really now is starting to thrive. 
Well, we're a highly educated country. Uh, we've, got, we've got a good educational system. We have a, a relatively good health system. And we have a lot of talent for making movies. We have a lot of talent in art. We have a lot of talent, you know, also through our, our universities and colleges in, in new technology. And there's all kinds of 3D software that all began here in Toronto. So it is uh, one of the leading high-tech hubs for 3D visualization and animation Often they say the country that is uh, very rich in resources is also harboring a curse, the curse of the resource economy. It's so much easier to go and dig it up and cut it down or just take something from nature, package it up and sell it versus using our gray matter to create creative products that have a much greater value add to them. And I think in this in the world that we're entering, less reliance on our resources and more reliance on our brain power, using this technology and, and developing it in itself and also developing what it can be used for, i.e. telling stories. So I think both of those things are really important to develop. As a stills photographer making prints, you know, the scalability of that is pretty narrow. I can get into museums, I can go online and have a website and all of that, but it still isn't as scalable as like films are and now with this augmented reality and virtual reality that truly can cross borders go around the world and become a very very powerful way to bring really important stories to into into being into consciousness that's such an important point about scale and that's a that's a recurring theme on our on our show almost, almost everyone brings it up and yet artists it's not that they're anti scale although i'm i'm sure some are but have uh, have been limited by lack of scale. Vikas, I wonder what you think every artist and gallery and art center in the country should be thinking about when it comes to this technology and also how this, how this crisis is maybe altering our approach to travel and to the world. You know, what this crisis really has revealed for everyone around the world is that digital is here to stay and that digital has to be embraced. The fact is that those People, those organizations, uh, those products that may not have had necessarily a digital component to them, they are struggling in significant, significant ways. And so, you know, I've always been a big believer that in the face of adversity, there are some great opportunities. If there was ever a time, this is the time for everyone to reinvent themselves and start to think about what their digital transformation strategy would be. And, and to your question, that applies so aptly to galleries and museums and arts and cultural centers and so on. You know, there, there's a certain gratification and that ethereal experience that comes with walking through the halls of a gallery or a museum. And I'm not suggesting that that ever be taken away, but I do think that it's critical for those organizations and institutions to think about how do you extend that experience in different ways using digital technology? And it might sound biased, but the fact is that through virtual reality and through augmented reality, we have the technology at our disposal to be able to bring some components of the museum experience home. And then I think, you know, the point about travel is very well taken. I mean, I, I do think that people will think twice before they start to travel again. In many ways, though, what we are doing with our technology is that we are giving people the opportunity to explore those places that they, in many ways, would never have had access to before. You know, some of the places that Ed goes to uh, are in the most remote parts of the world. Um, they are dangerous in many, in many ways. 
And so, you know, you think about the fact that how many people would ever get the opportunity to go into some remote area in Kenya or into the jungles of Indonesia? And you certainly don't want to come face to face with a real Sumatran tiger because that's just dangerous. And so we have the ability to bring those kinds of experiences to life, again, right on people's devices. Because you wrote a powerful piece on LinkedIn on Earth Day, reflecting on what the crisis might both do, but also enable in terms of uh, human human behavior. What do you see this technology and generally AR and VR doing in terms of helping the planet? We're hoping that through the emotional connections that we create by virtue of an immersive and interactive AR experience, we're actually having an emotional impact on people. And the minute we can actually start to tug in the, on those emotional strings, now we have the unique opportunity to influence human behavior. And ultimately, our objective is to turn people into change agents towards a better planet. I wonder, as we wrap up, if you can both reflect on what we need to keep from this experience. It's a real pause button for capitalism and humanity. And whoop, in one flip of the switch, we all just shut down. That's never happened before. And then as it starts up again, I think it's a question of, can we be more efficient? Can we not burn as much fossil fuel? Can we take this experience and start to apply it to the next big crisis that we're facing, which is climate crisis? And the only difference between this one and climate crisis is that you know we have the possibility of a vaccine, but there is no vaccine against climate crisis. There's no way we can cool warmed up oceans or deacidify them. We have nothing in our toolkit. So there isn't a going back or there isn't a solution. There isn't a medical solution to, to global warming. So it is actually the greatest of existential crises because if we lose our habitat and all the animals start to also be lost in these changing climates, then we are going to see changes and experience things that we thought were incomprehensible, just as I think this uh, whole shutdown, in many ways, in my mind, still almost feels incomprehensible. I think that we have all taken for granted, and in many cases in the rat race that we live, the beauty in the simplest of things. I am having dinner with my family every single night, and that's never happened before. You know, for us to to be able to go outside for walks and realize that the nature that we have been surrounded by, living in our home for many, many years that we've actually never really explored or taken the time to explore, the fact that we've taken it for granted, and yet we long to be able to get out there for the walks and to be able to smell the fresh air and to enjoy what we have around us, you know, that that's a remarkable epiphany as ironic as that sounds. After speaking with Adam Vicass, I'm kind of nervous about where augmented reality and virtual reality may take us. Yes, they can lead us to new places and expose us to new experiences, but equally, they can distort our appreciation of the world. And it's not just nature, how we interact with each other, and there's nothing virtual about that, will reshape the post-COVID world. But as Ed said, there's no turning back a technology. We can only advance it and make sure it advances us. From our conversation, I think we can all walk away with five key points. Number one, photography 3.0. It's about to change everything we see. Many of us grew up with photography 1.0, 
That's the chemical-based art that was the foundation of all media. Think National Geographic. It opened our eyes to the planet. Photography 2.0 was digital, connecting every person with every image. Hello, Instagram. What Ed calls Photography 3.0 is 3D, immersive, interactive, and it can be more powerful than the previous generations. It can transform the way we treat the world. Number two, empathy. We need to be really careful that our augmented and virtual experiences are connected with the reality of others on this planet. By empathizing with what they see and want to be seen, we can open our minds to the world as others would like it to be. Number three, game theory. Technology can be far more powerful when game theory is applied by giving users an array of choices that determine the outcomes of a technology and one done well add to our understanding of the world. Number four, Canada. We have a special place to play in this revolution. We're a nation that's known for creativity and storytelling. It's why so many Canadians are in Hollywood. With these new platforms, maybe our artists won't need to go abroad to influence the world. And number five, climate. The COVID crisis reminds us of our relationship with nature. We're still creatures of biology more than we're masters of technology. Moving forward, how can we use the power of visual technologies to better appreciate our ancient relationship with nature and come to grips with the looming challenges of our own making? It's time for our rapid fire segment, Fast questions, fast answers. What are you best known for? Being a technology entrepreneur in the gaming industry. Large-scale color prints that have taken resolution to a new level. What does innovation mean to you? Breaking the mold. Curiosity. Name one Canadian you feel has moved the dial for innovation in Canada. Toby Luque. Michael Lazaridis. Biggest moment in your career? University of Waterloo uh, Alumni Distinction Award. The launch of the Anthropocene Project. Biggest challenge you'd like to tackle? Children's literacy. The climate crisis. What should they teach in school but don't? Pragmatic real-world case studies. A business sense. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Photographer. A scientist. Last one. How do you define success? Making an impact. Self-awareness. It's extraordinary what you're both building and impressive, amazing in a way that you're continuing to build it in these times. Thank you both for being part of RBC Disruptors. My pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Yes. Thank you very much, John. Thanks for listening to RBC Disruptors, our ongoing conversation about innovation and how we can reimagine the Canadian economy in this time of unprecedented change. Leave us a review and let us know where you'd like us to take the conversation on future episodes.